so you rest so yeah i mean that's you you don't let that military career set there and go oh you didn't do anything like that it resiliency, but it, it also built there, there's 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 so many different attributes that i never thought of to use that that i could put it on a resume if i wanted to uh like if someone's come, coming in and they're doing CPR, you have new nurses or new respiratory therapists that just, they either freeze or they freak out, right? I've already been the, I've already been through that. Put me in the gas chamber, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've already, I, we, we were in a in the helicopter one time and, and we, we got caught in a whiteout in the snow in Korea and right around some, right in the area of these high tension power lines. I mean, nothing, I, I have no control over it. What can I do? I just have job. to stay calm, do my job. That's it. That's all I can do is what is my job. So once I get to the hospital and I realize that, man, all of this stuff that I've done previously now is adding up and I'm able to put it together and and see how it, how it goes together. Yeah, you can bring me this mangled body and I'm going to act the same way I would if it's a, if it's someone who just needs a breathing treatment. Yeah. So you went, so respiratory therapist though, man, people just like, oh, you just, you know, it doesn't sound like that difficult for the job, but it actually takes a really mental toll on you because you worked a lot, you know, you're pretty much the lifeline of people, right? You are, it's, you are it. You're the, you're the plug essentially. People, people don't think of it that way. But when when you say when you use the term, or someone uses the term, yeah, we we had to pull the plug on on grandma yesterday or whatever. That that's the respiratory therapist, and, and it's not just pulling a plug. There's a lot more that goes into it than that. But I, I'm there when you're born, so I'm there at the best time of people's lives usually, and at the worst time of people's lives when you're when you're dying or you can't breathe. Or you, your heart stop. So it's not, it's not just respiratory; it's cardiopulmonary, right? So your heart and your lungs. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can't breathe. You're not getting lungs. You're not getting oxygen to your lungs and your heart and your brain. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. They're going to start failing. So you, you, uh, you worked a lot with children as well, right? I worked in the. I was a pediatric liaison at at Grossmont. I so I worked with in between Rady Children's and. Grossmont. Grossmont has a um, children's or a pediatric department there. So I did that. But what's interesting about the geography of uh, where we live in Grossmont Hospital is if something bad happens in East County, uh, it doesn't matter what age you are, the closest hospital is Grossmont or Sharp Grossmont. So they're not going to drive a... Uh, pediatric kid to children's hospital because that's another 15 minutes by ambulance when the closest hospital is gross one. And that <clears throat> what ends up happening, you know, especially in the summer, everybody has a swimming pool out here in Southern California, except for me. Um, we're working on that someday. So uh, Instead of instead of driving driving to, uh, to Radies for a drowning or something like that, it comes to Grossmont, and we would have you know, every summer. It's, it's summertime right now, so there there's going to be drownings. There are going to be dead kids because people weren't paying attention. And I, I tell this to 
everybody that I know is that no one is watching your kid. You say, hey, I'm just going to go run in and, and grab a beer. I'm just going to go run in and grab a piss. Can you watch little Jimmy for a second? No one is watching your kid but you around the pool. And the reason I know that is because of the amount of drownings that, that I've seen. And it's always, well, I thought you were watching them. You can't take that back. You can't bring them back. So one of the people ask me um, about PTSD or, or things of that nature from, from this, from the respiratory job, from the military as well, but from respiratory. And I, I can't remember the amount of people that I've, that I've extubated or, you know, Pulled, pulled the plug, right? pulled the plug. It's prob probably in the hundreds, maybe thousands. And um, a lot of them were very, very old and it was, it was time to go in my, that's my opinion. Right. Mm -hmm. So I can't, I don't remember their faces, their names, the family members or anything, but I can remember every, every time I was a child, I can remember the faces of the, the parents in the room. I can remember the, the exact face of the kid. And uh, there, there was a bad one. The, the one that, the, the reason I talk about it, a lot of people don't talk about it. The reason I talk about it is because it, it helps me um, kind of get it off my chest. There, there was one where there was a party going on and everyone was getting ready to leave the party. And... It was in the afternoon and the everybody's in the front yard, you know, kissing and hugging everybody goodbye. And all of a sudden they go, hey, where's, where's little Jimmy? And they're looking around. They don't see him. About 15 minutes goes by and somebody finds him. They had an above ground pool in the backyard and he's face down in the above ground pool. So at that point, 15 minutes has gone by. We don't know how long he was down for. We know at least 15 minutes, right? So he could have been in the pool for who knows how long because no one is watching your kid except for you. So then they call 911. Nobody starts CPR. And this is a big pet peeve of mine. If you don't know how to start CPR, just start beating on somebody's chest. It's better than nothing, right? If the fire department takes 10 minutes to get there, because it was within the city limits, so he's been down for 25 minutes and nobody's done CPR. He's, he's brain dead. There's no oxygen going to the going to the brain. There's no blood flowing. Um, so get him. So they start CPR, bring him to the hospital. You know, we're now over half an hour. The nothing. It, it's not the chances of survival at this point, even in children, is is very 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 slim. So mom and dad show up. We're still doing CPR. We're still pushing drugs, still trying to trying to get the pulses back. And and you can get pulses from from Epi, uh, giving Epi, but it's it's not real, right? The drug you can make a heartbeat with drugs, but it's it's the drug doing the work. The heart's not doing it itself. So and you can't just keep giving somebody Epi forever. So it's it's not it's it's kind of a false sense of security if if a parent is looking at the monitor and they're like, oh these the, you know, the heart is beating well 
yeah, epinephrine's making the the heartbeat that it's not really doing it on, on its own. And then you'll see the drug wear off, the heart will stop again, and then you know you keep doing this ACLS cycle eventually until um, the the doctor, or the, the physician calls it, or so. Sometimes the physician will act, will look around and say, "Does it? Does anybody have any other ideas? Any anything? Anybody got anything?" And we're like, yeah, there's, there's nothing we can do at this point. There's um, so I'm, I'm bagging at the at the head of the bed. The, the child is intubated, blood's coming out. It's it's just a horrible scene, right? I, I believe he was two years old, and I have a two year old right now. And so then it turns to these parents have a have an opportunity to make a huge difference in the lives of numerous other kids but it's a very sensitive subject because they just lost their child and now somebody has to ask them hey do you want to donate your child's organs to other kids that need them and those those two parents right there I, I still and it gives me the chills to think about it they they said yes so they took the kid to the OR and took the took the organs the eyeballs we got a letter a few months later um, from the company that that does that, and it it explained where all of those different organs went and how many lives that that kid saved. And it, it's I would never have the resiliency to go through something like that if I hadn't gone through all of this crap from before and overcome it. Um, I mean, it's still, it's, I can't, I, if my two-year-old was in that situation, I, I don't know what I would do. I couldn't tell there, That is a very difficult decision for any parent to ever make. Not only that, but for the medical staff as well, going in there, looking at this, you know, this two-year-old, just it, dead, and knowing that this kid is not going to come back alive and having to deliver that news. My, you're talking about summertime drownings. My daughter was two and a half years old. And we were at a pool, at a buddy's pool, his condo. And she had a floaty on. The floaty goes around the, you know, the chest and the arms. Yep. Um, everybody else knew how to swim. And uh, it was me, uh, my, my, it was really my wife's friend's husband. And we were just, you know, Hung out. We liked each other, you know. He was a ATF agent. <clears throat> oh, we don't. We don't like those guys. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get to that here in a minute. I'm and, sorry, <laughs> just, just kidding, ATF. Yeah, yeah. He said that, not me. <laughs> I was not paying attention. We weren't drinking. Uh, we were just having fun, and somehow my daughter got out of her thing. Very bizarre. The only way to do it is somebody unbuckling it. And she jumped into the hot tub. Didn't even know she jumped into the hot tub. And my oldest son said, Dad, Kaylee is on the bottom of the hot tub. And I was like, holy shit. So I run around and I'm, I'm across the pool. And by the time I get there, he has her out of the hot tub. 
and I grab her and her belly is hard as a rock. And I, and her face is just turning purple. I don't know child CPR. I've never done it. I've never seen it done. Um, and I was just freaking the fuck out. But resiliency, things that I've learned in the military, calm, you know, do something. And so as I grab her, I yell to him saying, call 911. Call 911. And this fucking ATF agent froze fucking solid. Stiff as a fucking board. Couldn't even move. Never responded back to me. And I'm grabbing her. And now the only thing I'm like, okay, her belly's full. So I just start smacking her on the back. Yeah. And uh, I don't know why I started doing that. I could not tell you. I've never been trained. And as I'm doing this, I'm yelling in this condo complex for somebody to call 911 because this this guy is frozen. This ATF agent who carries a gun for work is frozen solid. And as I'm doing it, I'm just watching her just limped, gone. And I'm just trying my hardest to, to do whatever I could do as a father. And finally, she spits up a little water and starts gurgle crying. And then it was just like profuse, just water coming out, just blah, just so much. I'm like, hell yes, that is freaking great. Well, somebody calls 911 and now I can hear fire trucks come in. I can hear sirens in the, in the distance, you know, and then I get her, she starts crying. So I kind of flip her on her side a little bit and keep kind of patting her on the back. You Which know, the flipping, the flipping on the side came from your military training. It, it, it probably did. It was CPR, you know, assessing a, a wounded, you know, a wounded person. So I flipped them on the side, on her side. Now I'm not holding her like this. I'm flipped her on her side and kept doing it. And she spit a lot of water out. And now she started full, full fledged crying. And I was like, oh my God. But I also know there's secondary drowning. Yeah. Crying's you know? good though. Crying's good. It, crying is good. Yeah. That means she's getting unctioned. That means she's breathing. <laughs> you know, that means she's alive. Mm -hmm. So uh, fire department gets there, man. And PD get there. And, you know, they... I hand her over to him and I immediately just started fucking bawling, you know, just started bawling. I, I could not control it because I'm over here like, I don't, and again, I don't even know if my daughter's going to live, you know, at this moment still. Um, and, uh, you know, they get her, they package her up and get her to the hospital. I, I go with them and, uh, she, she lives, she, she survives, you know, uh, but this whole time, I'm a mess internally, you know, because I'm like, wow, I don't even know child CPR. I didn't never think this could happen to me. You know, how did this happen? Um, but she, she she survives and no no uh, health issues from it. That's you know, good. but it was that talk about that instinct, right? Like, don't freak out. Keep calm or as calm as you can. The guy who's a ATF agent now freezes up. Freezes up solid. I think he I unfroze think finally when his wife was coming around running, going, yelled his name several times. I'm not going to say his name, but yelled his name several times. You know, finally it was like, oh crap, what am I like? But the guy was never in the military. You know, I'm not saying everybody in the military is going to react that way, but his instinct was just freeze up. He froze solid. I, I think the, <clears throat> the military has done a great job in the last 
15, 15 years probably of creating. We actually had resiliency classes. And I remember thinking, God, this is so stupid. What are we doing? And and I couldn't tell you what they were, but it's PowerPoint, death by PowerPoint. Yeah, right? oh yeah. And I honestly have no idea what they were. I'm sure they, they were about resiliency, but I don't remember what, what was on the slides or anything. But they do, they do a good job, a very good job of showing you that you can overcome whether it's physical or mental or sleep deprivation or whatever it is, you can overcome this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's not, uh, it's not a big deal. And law, law enforcement agencies, so C CHP actually has a, a very militarized paramilitary police academy where you go live there and it's, they're pretty squared away where some agencies like they go to Quantico or wherever they go, they're, they're not as, as militarizes that and they don't put them through as many scenarios that that, that you and i went through and yeah. I'll, I'll give you a funny example um i'm allergic to bees so i'm supposed to carry an epi pen right yeah I've, i have no idea where my epi pen is somewhere in this house <laughs> um my wife and i were outside last last weekend we were doing some work around the house and i i you know i'm just constantly not on alert. It's it's calmed down. I'm not on alert all the time, but there's a little bit of alert in me, right? More than most people, I would say. So I hear, I'm like, what is that noise? That's a swarm of bees. And I, ju I just said, run now to my wife. And then I just stood there. I didn't freeze. I'm just like, well, I'm not going to outrun these bees. <laughs> I'm just going to stay here and be calm. Maybe they'll chase her. <laughs> 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 and then I won't have to go find my EpiPen. <laughs> but she, so I stood there and then she comes back like 10 minutes later. And I was still working in the yard. She said, what'd you do? I said, I just stayed here and I stood here and didn't move. And they just flew around me. <laughs> what, do you, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I mean, you didn't tell her like, well, I made you run so they would chase you, not me. <laughs> uh, no, we'll, leave, we'll leave that part out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, that's going in, man. That's that's solidified now. It's <laughs> but it's, oh, it's the wherewithal to see something, say yeah. something, get somebody out of a situation. I was more worried about her, right? And then, hey, get it. Because I heard him. You could hear a swarm bees from yeah. oh, yeah. far away. Hey, get out of here. And I'm, I know I'm not outrunning a swarm of bees, so not. <laughs> it's not like I'm going to push her down in front of me. <laughs> I was, <laughs> you know, that guy at the Halloween time, right? You get scared, you push her <laughs> in front of the threat and you run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. So, you know, in the time that I was going through that too was I have a buddy who I worked with in Oklahoma City. And I was there when his son died from a drowning and his son was at his parents' house or his wife's parents' house. And they also worked at the hospital. They were like a director of some department in the hospital. And I was there when his, his two-year-old, his son was two, passed away uh, because of drowning. And that's all that went through my head was like, holy shit, I am reliving this moment. Like, I never thought that would happen to me, you know, and it almost did. It almost did, you know, and thank God, I just, 
thank you, military, for instilling whatever you instilled in me, the instinct to actually do something. You know, that Does fight that, or flight, I'm a fighter. I'm not a flighter. That, that goes back to my that goes back to my point of of you did something. You didn't know what to do, but you did something. Something is better than nothing, just standing there. Yeah, wait for fire department. If you would have waited, things could have turned out very differently. I I 100% agree. 100% agree. And that was I could I that was the hardest phone call that I made to my wife. Was yeah. you you need to come to the hospital. Uh, Kaylee almost drowned. You know, and she's at work. <laughs> you know, the hardest hardest phone call, man. I just yeah. oh, still fucking gives me just gives me the fucking chills, man. You know, takes, but that point on, man, I fucking made sure my kids know how to swim. All of them. I'm yeah. like, listen, you're swimming. You're learning how to swim. And the show wouldn't be made possible without our sponsors. Red, White, and Badass Brew. Coffee as bold as American Spirit. And Go Man Go Productions. Your vision is our mission because we see it too. So uh, you had a kind of a, a kind of a issue with a transient at your at your house. Yeah, I had some I had some issues with some transient, mainly one transient who uh, kind of found out my my pattern of work. So I worked twelve and a half hours at night night shift at the hospital, and uh, my my wife was pregnant. Uh, we when we first moved into the house, um, she was pregnant and then had the baby. Uh, our first child had colic for the, about the first six months, so you know, I'm sleep deprived, deprived, dealing with the transient who's who's just erratic on meth, just kind of basically being an asshole to the, the first few houses in the neighborhood, and then kind of. Uh, came down on on us for for some reason um and then the, the you know call like the the baby crying for six months was that, that was something that i was not ready for um so we you know i'm working <clears throat> my my wife was working at the time and i'm i'm happy to to call this out she was working at kaiser and um you know, another this went on for about a year, so about a year and a half. This this was going on, and um, she had got laid off. So she she got um, pregnant again, and then got laid off a week before the baby was due from Kaiser Permanente. So. That was another wrench in our system, and and you know, we could talk about resilience again. But the the transient was well when I was working was he, he had gotten so bad that he was threatening. He he'd be he would yell at me. I'd be in the garage working, and he'd yell down at me, and I'd be like, yeah, whatever, just come down here, let's have a little chat. And he never came down. Just want to have a nice chat with him, but he never wanted to do that. So he, what he would do was uh, wait until I would leave and then yell things from the the mountainside down to my wife, massively inappropriate things. And um, it 
it culminated with us getting a, a thousand yard restraining order against him. Uh, he he did end up he threatened to kill her. We got a thousand yard restraining order against him, which is huge in in San Diego. I know it's a restraining order is a piece of paper that's not going to do anything, right? But a thousand yards is is a, for a judge to grant that is a pretty big deal. Um, and he stayed away for a little bit, and finally one day he it was it was the wrong day, and um, he. I would come home from, I think I'd get home from work about seven o'clock in the morning. I'd usually sit on the couch until my wife would wake up and just kind of decompress a little bit. Um, and I had the door open with the, you know, the metal screen was closed and locked and he came up and banged on the screen and said, you know, I'm going to effing kill you and, and all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, oh, today's, today's the wrong day for that. And you have to, the, the, the transients in, in California are almost a, a protected class at this point. So I had to be very diplomatic and very careful on, on, regarding what I did, right? I couldn't, I couldn't just go do a lot of the things I wanted to do to remove him from the area. Um, because I could put, you know, I have a respiratory license and I put my whole family in jeopardy by losing that kind of stuff. So, but at that point, it had gone on for so long that I I went outside and, and we had a little chat and uh, the police report, the, the sheriff's report, deputy report, um, shows that I assisted him to the ground until the deputies arrived. And we'll leave it at that. You can interpret that however you'd like. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they need a little bit more assistance, you know, and a little bit more restraining until PT arrives, you know, and yeah. their struggles, their problem. Yeah. He you got know? assisted. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> I'm glad you probably told him, you know, don't hurt yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Be careful when I assist you to the ground. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, wow. So the guy's just kind of really a stalker, man. Kind of a stalker and a threat. He was. He was. And the the sheriff's department takes, I, I guess, the department, the DA and the sheriff's department take threats differently, right? There's there's many different components to the threat, and if you look up the legal definition, it becomes very confusing. You can make a threat, like I, I could say right now, "Hey, I'm going to kill you," but that unless I have the means to do it, or the intent to do it, and all this other crap, then it's not a real threat, right? So that's what they kept going off of. And, and I was getting very frustrated with the sheriff's department at the time. We have a good, we have a very good relationship now because of the business that I'm in. And I and I can look back and understand why they did some of the things they did. If they if the sheriff's department or any agency, local agency, arrests a transient, they have to bag and tag all of their items. Mm. So you've seen these homeless encampments. If you're a cop, do you want to bag and tag and inventory all of their stuff if you take them to jail? Absolutely not. If I was a cop, the guy would not have any possessions. So they they have their own uh, interesting ways of of removing people 
but the, the, that's that's the legal way of doing it. And so their their hands are kind of tied. It's not their fault. It's the it's our our state government that is, has made it this way, and, and local government that's made it this way. Well, that's that's a point. So if this would happen in Oklahoma, well, it would never happen in Oklahoma. Yeah, because a dude would get his ass stomped to the ground. Yeah, and the police would show up and be like, "And you're going to jail." Yep. You know, so you not only did you get your ass kicked, but you're also going to jail. You know, it's ridiculous. The, you know, somebody could get away with that multiple times threatening somebody's life. Fine. Intent. What if he just grabbed a piece of metal and did it that well, one time after 400 threats or 200 threats or 100 or 10 or five? We had, like, we had uh, pictures of him walking around with a machete. So. Well, fucking there's intent right there. I know. There's a the means. It's. I, I try to be understanding of law enforcement because I work with them now. I'm not a cop, but I, I work with them. And I I see both sides of it. I wish that it wasn't a political issue. Um, I don't know. Who, I, I doubt we, we want to go down this road, but homelessness is a big moneymaker for certain political parties. There's a lot of money to be made in people being homeless. We'll talk about that here in just a bit. So if you want to hear what money can be made in homelessness, that's going to be on the exclusive content. So, uh, man, so what is, so you, so that, did that fix the problem? Uh, we ended up moving. We were like, we can't, uh, well, let me back up a minute. We, so we were trying to figure out what to do. Well, we sell, if we sell the house, then we have to pay the realtor and we, you know, we I used the VA loan. We didn't put any money down, so we would have lost money on it. So we couldn't do that. Um, so we had to try and come up with some some kind of solution. In the meantime, my wife was so. Uh, this this was about two years later. So we, we had we had had the first baby, and um, we were trying for another one, and. Uh, my wife was confronted by uh, a different transient. So there was a camp that lived in the area. She was confronted by a different transient on a walk down to the babysitter's house, a few houses down. And it, it scared the crap out of her because of what was going on with the other guy. So um, that that happened, and um, she she wasn't really feeling good. Um you know, this is a little little bit TMI, but she she I think the next it was the next day or that night I can't remember she started bleeding more than normal, and um, I you know obviously work in healthcare so I I kind of had an idea what was going on. Um, this was this was right towards the beginning of COVID when everything was you, know, you had to wear a like like you're going to hold some rice in or something, right? Yeah. Anthrax. So um, I said, okay, well, let's, she went She went to the next day, got some labs drawn. Her HCG levels were above greater than 35,000. So I knew exactly what was going on. But I, I didn't really have the heart to tell her. I wanted, I, wanted the, I wanted to be there for her. I didn't want to be her medical practitioner in this case. I wanted to be her husband, right? and be there for her when she found out what was going on. I didn't want it to come from from the medical guy. I wanted to be the husband. 
And I don't know if that was the right decision. Uh, I never asked her. Maybe maybe I'll ask her later today. Um, I, I think it was because sometimes you need to differentiate yourself between, you know, father, soldier, medical, whatever, firefighter, and, and, and husband, and be those different roles. And it's 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 hard. It can be very hard to do. So anyway, we they called her in, uh, or I think things started getting worse. So we went to the, the ER at Kaiser, and uh, they wouldn't let me in. They said, you know, COVID can't, we can only have one, only the patient. It was before they were even letting in one visitor. So, so we can only have the patient only. And I'm like, yeah, this... I, I tried to call in favors from friends at different hospitals that also worked at Kaiser and they're like, yeah, man, they can't. The the policy right now is not to let anybody into as, as a visitor. So I'm sitting in the car knowing that my wife is in the ED and some nurse that she doesn't know or physician that she doesn't know is about to tell her that she had a miscarriage. And I know it, but she doesn't know it. So now I feel like a real ass because I wanted to be the husband and be there for her instead of, and now I'm thinking, well, now I should have told her because now I can't even be in there for her. So now I'm just fuming. And then I go back to, hold on, calm down. We're smarter than this. Let's figure this out. Well, if you go to the emergency department, they can't turn you away. So I walked back up and I said, all right, here's, I, I think I found a solution here. I have a migraine. Can you check me in for a migraine, please? And then I'm going to AMA, so leave against medical advice. And I'm not going to sign anything. And you're not going to make any money. And you're going to do a bunch of paperwork. And I'm going to leave. Or you can let me in and be with my wife. And he goes back, talks to the supervisor, comes back, and they bring me into my wife's room that she hadn't been seen yet. And she said, how'd you get in here? So just, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> so I'm sitting in there. We got the news, and and it you know now that I'm saying it out loud, it, I it, I think it was appropriate to be the husband at that point and be there for her for for that. But it, I was this close to not being there, and it was that would have that would have really driven me crazy. But you 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 know people say think out of the box all the time, and it's it's I think that term's overplayed. But sometimes that's that's the only way to do things is go go around, adapt and overcome is the better term I guess. Adapt and overcome. There's a way. You figure it out. That's a term I love, man. Adapt and overcome. You know, I love think outside the box too, but I think people use it. They just don't know how to utilize it. Correct. Yep. You know, they say it, they just don't know how to utilize it. But so it, it, then that, so that we went it, together, we went down a, a weird path. We never had any trouble with our marriage or anything. Uh, it was a, uh, it was weird for me because wasn't my body, right? It was, I'm just the, the, the dude, I'm just the dad. I didn't, I know how to care for people. I know how to empathize. Um, 
I, I, you know, I can, I can tell when something's wrong and, and, and try to help you. And like most guys, we try to fix problems. Right. And sometimes, sometimes people just want to talk and we want to take that and well, here's what you do to fix it. And sometimes you just need to shut up. Can you edit that part out, please? (laughs) (laughs) So Uh, we, we had all this stuff going on. Um, we got to the point where, you know, that, that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. We're like, let's get out of this house. So we, we sold it. We bought an RV because we didn't know where we wanted to move. We, we were just, just kind of flying by the seat of our pants at that point. We lived in an RV with, um, with both. So basically a almost newborn. So if we fast forward a little bit here, the newborn two year old German shepherd, and um, we were trying to find a house. Uh, our credit wasn't wasn't great at the time, so we were trying to pay stuff off. Um, and then at the same same time, so I'm working night shift. She got laid off. She got a better ended up being a silver lining. She got a better job. Um, and then. We haven't even gone into the business side of things yet. I'm, we're still in the middle of COVID, and uh, my business partner Gary and I decided to open a gun store. Why not? We got all this other crap going on. Let's do some more stuff. (laughs) Oh shit! I mean, it's not laughable that in the face, in the midst of everything you got going on, you know, you're like open a gun store. Your wife just had a miscarriage, you know, and you. I think you did the right thing, man. I think you sat there and. You you were the husband, you know, not the fixer, man, and not the delivery of the deliver of the news either, man. So I think you went, I think the right direction with that, you know. Um, you probably should ask her, you know, uh, you know, because at times the past, I think the you know that's healed. So, um, but I think you definitely did the right thing, man. You know, um, if you're listening, how would you deliver the news? How would you take it? Would you want to? Would you be the uh, would you be the husband or would you be the delivery of the news? You know, comment in the comments, man. Um, Corey, you're a badass, my friend. You know, Thanks. you dealt with the opiate addiction. You went into military. You got medically separated. And most of the time that defines people and that stops them in their tracks. But you didn't. You went into the healthcare field and you found something that you're passionate about. And it led you to other things in life that you're passionate about. Own it, open up a gun shop. And now you might even do a political career. But it's that resiliency that you have built up throughout your life. You didn't grow up with it. You had to learn it. You are a badass, my friend. You're a badass, resilient dude. Thank you for coming on the show, dude. And I am pleasure to absolutely know you and call you a friend. Thank you, and and you as well. You, you've been been very helpful. We love when you come to the store. So, thanks for having me on. Um, I really appreciate it. It's it, it people that are people that are having a tough time or getting getting at, transitioning out of the military or whatever it may be is is there's there's always a silver lining. Just keep going. That's what the military taught you. Just do it. 
Yep. Keep it's, going. Keep going, man. I tell, you know what? When you get out, you're not losing your purpose. You're not losing your drive. You're not losing your mission. It just changes. Now you got to find a new purpose, a new mission, and now a vision. And the the yeah, the biggest the term there is shift fire. Shift fire. Yeah. Pivot. It's time to pivot. Yep. Pivot or die. So, my friend, thank you for coming on, dude. Uh, one last question. Uh, Gary said that you like to get pegged. Is that true? I think you have to ask Gary on that one. Maybe you should have him. <laughs> yeah, so there might be a possible pegging political career going on. <laughs> awesome, man. Thank you for going on, dude. Um, uh, that's it. We, we are it, done. Thank you. If you have a heroic story, you'd like to share it, get in contact with us. Our information's in the bio. Also, don't forget to hit the subscribe, like, and share. And then I'll see you on the next episode, badasses.